0: Chad, football season's over. Been a long time since we dropped the podcast. Do you miss it? Do you miss football season?
1: Oh, I oh, didn't I, know if you meant the podcast or football season.
0: do you miss football season right now? Or are you like, ah, it's nice having a little break?
1: Um, no, I mean, no, I was bored. Like, I'm we we just started started up our off season program and to me it's basically like in season. I mean, I still don't get home until the sun's already down, so um yeah, I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm back in it, which is good. I was bored as crap.
0: The sun goes down about 5.30 now, though, and the sun went
1: down. Oh, no, yeah, I'm, no, I'm not still at school. Come on now, don't high act high, like obviously. No, but what I'm saying is, like, I, I don't have, like, until the off-season program started, I got done teaching at 10.55. What right. the freak do I do for the rest of the time?
0: That sounds well, amazing.
1: Yeah, it's good for, like, the first two days, and then it's like I need to do something with my hands.
0: All right, so how's your season in? What round did you go to?
1: Third round, nine and three, I so guess.
0: how many rounds are there in the playoffs here in South Carolina for everybody that's not from here?
1: There's five.
0: So you went to the yeah. quarterfinal.
1: Yeah, correct. Right, quarterfinal, top last last eight, I guess. Um, yeah, lost to, a, lost to an undefeated number one team in the state who ended up turning around and losing the next week after they beat us. Um they're good. We obviously didn't, we didn't play well. Had four turnovers, which sucks. I still haven't been able to watch the whole game on film yet, which some All people are going to think Matt, I'm not a real coach. But security. What?
0: Got to get that, that eagle claw, baby. Have you been coaching it?
1: I, when I said in the huddle out there in front of everybody that.
0: Is it enough to say it?
1: That did it was my fault.
0: No, you? I said that it was my fault.
1: I did really you
0: know did. It really was your fault. <laughs>
1: Two or two or no not as much as I said, no. Oh, I was,
0: just, hold on to the freaking football.
1: Yeah, I mean that's part of it. You know, there's you know, that's we, we probably didn't we didn't do as much as we should have and we tossed the kid a ball who dropped two or three throughout the season and that's my fault, but he's also our best player, our best running back, so what do you do?
0: Yeah, it also would have been your fault if they had done an onside kick and one of your guys dropped the ball. But like Sometimes people just, you know, we didn't practice our onside side kick return enough. Like, you're a 1A football team. How much time do you really have to do every single – I don't know, I guess you feel, probably have to do it during practice in other segments. Like, it's probably hard to do every single facet of the game, every yeah,
1: single – we tried to take some time during – we had two bye weeks, and we had – because in South Carolina in 1A, if you win your region, you get automatic bye in the first-round playoffs, which we had. And then we had a late regular season bye. So, we used those – both of those weeks to – Spent a bunch of time on turnovers, and then we also played some teams that, you know, we knew that, you know, as long as a nuclear bomb didn't get dropped on Lamar High, we were going to win. I mean, <laughs> that's just the truth. I mean, we won our second-round playoff game 64 to and the team had negative 14 total yards. Hey, um,
0: fun fact real quick, for those of you who don't know, look up the Mars Bluff bomb. There was an atomic bomb accidentally dropped out of an airplane near Lamar High School. Mars Bluff atomic bomb dropped by the United States did not go off but if it had the entire world would be different um so yeah it's near Lamar high just wanted to let y'all know that if there's anybody out here who likes history search it mars Bluff bomb go ahead and so say y'all
1: google it yeah. um no yeah I mean we 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 felt like we should have we felt like we should have like won um we and a lot of the stats we won outside turnovers you know we have more yards per play and some stuff like that but they converted a bunch of four downs and we turned it over and they beat us and they deserved to win. And we didn't.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We lost in the second round of the playoffs. Um, right before the quarterfinal. we were beating the number one team in the state in our classification by 13. They came back and beat us in the fourth quarter when we were up. Um, it sucked, but you know, proud of our guys for being that close. So neither one of us won a state championship this year. Um, maybe some of y'all did, which is awesome, but, uh, we're, we're definitely shooting for it next year. So, um, uh, This week, guys, we got Coach Reggie Shaw. It's spelled like Reggie, but his name is Reggie Shaw. Uh, He coaches at Burns High School. And if you haven't heard of Burns, um, we done a podcast earlier this year with Willie Corn, who was uh, one of the best quarterbacks in Burn history. He was an extremely highly recruited guy who went to Clemson um, out of high school. Uh, It is a powerhouse. They have been nationally ranked tons of times and he's got them on the right track. They've gone really far in the playoffs. Under uh, him, I think now, this was the second full season, second or third, because um, we did this podcast in the summer. Um, so, yeah, Coach Shaw's here. He's going to talk about how to build a family culture on your staff. So, um, how do you build a family culture for your coaches, for their wives, for your coaches' kids, and really your players to be able to see. So, yeah. Um, Coach Shaw's an awesome man. He's a strong Christian. He, um, is just a great example, and um, got a great reputation in the state of South Carolina. So we want to co- welcome Coach Reggie Shaw to the podcast. Coach Shaw, we appreciate you coming on the podcast with us.
2: Appreciate the opportunity, guys.
0: So, Coach, I want to start this off. Uh, me and you met at my roommate and college friend. We played football together in college. Joey Carter, and you you coached him when he was in high school, okay. and. I will tell you, that night, I was I was getting it on the dance floor. I was singing. I was dancing. And I'm just curious, did that make you view me as less of a ball coach? Or did you just know, Ah, oh, he's an offensive <laughs> guy? He's an offensive guy. Ain't no defensive coach be out there like that.
2: Yeah, I, I knew you, you must have had some athleticism because you, you had some nice ups and some moves. Figured you were going to stay pretty well on the field showing those moves.
0: Man, I, I I got worried there. I heard you were there, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, we got a ball coach in the house." I gotta I gotta tune it down a little bit, man. I gotta show my my uh, tough side. But yeah. <laughs> no, nah, I, I thought that was a it was a cool way to meet. You know, we got to conversate that night. And I, it was right before you took the Burns job. But um, I think you you were at AC Floor right before Burns, yeah. right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Joey was a was a great one, man. Enjoyed uh, being there for you guys. That was a that was a cool setting.
0: Yeah. That was a good night. Uh, coach, so we, we want to talk to you about building a family culture on your staff and the importance of that. I know that's something that you do, and I think it's very beneficial for anybody that's a head coach or uh, aspires to be a head coach to, to learn what that means and the value of that. So yeah. I just want to ask you here, um, why do you think it's important to create a family culture on your coaching staff?
2: Well, first and foremost, I've learned the hard way, like like most of us, um, you know, made a lot of mistakes along the way, but I've had some great mentors along the way as well. But, you know, I, I think if you build that family culture, number one, you, you're going to have a tighter group that's going to fight for you and with you. Um, and so I think it starts with just how you approach that first meeting. You establish that culture in the first meeting. My, my philosophy is to have a roundtable approach. Uh, we start every meeting with input from every person in the room. I want to know what's going on with your family i want to know any prayer requests i want to know what's going on with your position group i want to know the temperature of your group and then any concerns that you have and so we lay it all on the table and that's how we start Uh, and sometimes those are fun meetings sometimes they're not so fun but when we leave there i want every heart to be clear and i want everybody to feel valued and everybody to feel like they have input because ultimately they do uh, we're only as good as our assistants, and uh, any anybody that thinks they're a one-man show will find out the hard way that's that's they're not going to be successful. And so, uh, I think that first meeting is crucial on how you start it, and then from then on, it it kind of uh, becomes a routine and habit. And uh, that's our that's our approach to our meetings. They take a little bit longer, but they're worth it.
0: How how would you handle it if you have a guy who do you ever have anybody go? off the rails a little bit in those type situations because I, mean, I, I could see that happen and how would you handle that if a guy kind of yeah. goes veers away from what you're looking to do and accomplish in accomplishing those meetings
2: right I think you, you got to have some parameters on there uh, there's, there's a time limit you know obviously we don't want everyone to spend 20 minutes giving a life history but at the same time let's give a brief synopsis I'll tell you hey you got two minutes let's hit it and get it uh, because we want to value everybody's time too. we want to work efficiently because we all have families we all have things going on and and we don't want to be here uh, more than we need to be
1: coach what are some of the benefits you've seen um you know maybe years where you had more of that family atmosphere to years where maybe you didn't you know as a maybe younger coach or whatever you were sort of developing this what have you seen have been the biggest benefits for you um having that family culture
2: Well, I think it comes to consistency, man. Anytime you're consistent in everything you do, I think you're better prepared for adversity. This past year, we had 15 injuries, and we came from behind and won three games in the fourth quarter to get to the upper state. And nobody thought we would do that. And and there were unforeseen things that happened along the way. Uh, There were things going on with coaches' families. There were two of my coaches whose fathers were battling cancer. And so, you know, you got to keep the big picture in mind and, and understand that football is important, but it's not the most important thing going on in your coaches' lives and in these, these young men's lives. Um, and so I think just having that approach and them understanding that uh, it's bigger than, than just what we do, it's not it's not about what we do more so than, than this is our role and our, our calling, um, but, you know, just valuing people and giving them the opportunity to feel as such and then giving flexibility in there. Um, I think it, it helped us uh, come together and stay together in the past. You know, it's easy to get offense versus defensive coaches when something goes wrong. But this past year, our guys came together. They they, they cared about each other. They pulled for each other, and, and they celebrated each other. But also when things didn't go so well, so well, they said, all right, defense, offense is not on tonight. It's your job to win the game, vice versa. All right, offense, uh, we need to come together. We need to find a way. And so, uh, you know, I want them to be problem solvers and and uh, care about each other and pull for each other. You know, the other thing that we've done on a team level is that we've cross-trained everybody. And so it's eliminated some of that offensive versus defensive stuff that normally happens. You're, you're not an offensive player at Burns. You're a football player. You're not a defensive player. Uh, and they also put a lot of value on special teams. And so our coaches have bought into that as well. Now, how
1: often do you do the um, cross-training thing? I mean, I know a lot of 5A programs, it's, you know, very strict. You're two hours at the, your defense position. Everybody else is two hours at whatever their position is. Is it an everyday thing for y'all? It's not um, an everyday thing. Or is it just a
2: Yeah, during the summer, it's a one day a week. You know, we go Monday through Thursday, so Wednesday is devoted to cross-training. And so you spend most of the day with that opposite um, position. And And I'll tell you, it came in – it was crucial last year. A lot of guys stepped up and played major roles in, in major games that never thought they would be playing that position, whether it was two positions on offense or, or even coming across the way and playing the other side of the ball. And so we're trying to figure out how to do that during the season. I've done it different ways where you'd split practice. Um, you know, that's not the best scenario. Um, but right now we use a blended approach. And so, you know, it makes the team periods a little bit longer. Uh, but I think it's worth it.
0: It's really crazy in high school because you could have a defensive tackle that is dominant and could be a great offensive lineman, and you don't have to play him, but then you get two injuries on the offensive line, and it's like do you would you rather him be tired or would you rather just not be good on the offensive line? So I, I like that approach. Even at the 5A level, I think that has lots of benefits. Um, I think a lot of people could, could learn from that. because there's another thing mm-hmm. you you said there. You said you've learned – from your mistakes in the past. Yeah. yeah, Chad and I both, we're young guys, and I'm curious, what are the mistakes that showed you this is the way to go as opposed to the other route?
2: Well, I've lost some close games with my best player standing beside me because we only trained them one way. And I vowed a long time ago that would never happen again. We're gonna put our best 11, when it's crunch time, your best 11 need to be on the field. Um, and if you haven't prepared them ahead of time, um, then they might not be your best 11. And so it requires, you know, the challenge for our posi- our, our coordinators and our position coaches to keep it simple enough so that guys can play both ways and then find ways to, to utilize them. And, and it might be a situational deal. You know, last year, it was more of a goal line type deal where I want, you know, that we felt like we needed to bring some defensive guys in uh, and, and that worked well for us. So every year, you just got to look at what your needs are. You know, don't, we got stopped uh, my first year here on the two-yard line for basically keeping our offensive guys in. I learned a lesson then. That won't ever happen again, and that probably cost us a close game. Uh, And so you, you learn some hard lessons, unfortunately, when you lose more than when you win. Um, now with you at Burns, this is a
1: question that we've asked um, some of the other coaches we've had on. You know, Burns is a very, it's a, is a program with a lot of tradition, obviously. I mean, it's probably as much tradition as there is anywhere in South Carolina, maybe anywhere in the country. Um, how do you, I guess you can answer it in two parts. How do you, as a person, personally deal with that kind of pressure? people expect you to win people expect they hear burns they expect success and then how do you is there anything you do with your staff in particular um to sort of shield them or or whatever when it comes to community pressure to to be successful
2: yeah well to me i don't look at as a negative we have high standards for ourselves and you know i I have as much pressure on myself personally as i do from anybody outside and so you know I, i try to keep it again it's about perspective this is not just uh, who I am. This is what I do. It's what I'm called to do. And I try to keep that big picture mentality all the time. We're not going to win every game. We're going to try and do everything possible to. Uh, but, you know, I want our, our fans to understand as well that, that we're preparing men for the future. We won't know how successful we are until 10, 15 years from now when these guys are out in the community. And so, uh, you know, just trying to publicize that. This, this role has become more of a marketing Person than it has in the past you know with the use of social media and so uh, you know we're doing a lot in the community we do uh, service hours every year we work with uh, uh, food pantry uh, once a month where we serve there Uh, we work with an organization called homeworks where we we redo about four houses a year in the community and so you know I want them to see that we're out and about it's more than football and, and the community appreciates that. I think uh, our, our GPA was a 3.4 during football season, cumulative for our team. And so, you know, I want to put that out there. Um, our guys are getting opportunities because they're taking care of business in the classroom. We monitor them weekly in the classroom year-round. We have study hall twice a week, year-round. And so, you know, I think the more that you're doing to give guys the opportunity, I think the more the community will buy in. But also, they want to see a team that's disciplined, that plays hard and fights. And if, if you put that product on the field, I, I think more you know people appreciate that and 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 they understand that it's it's a big picture.
0: And I mean, that's really when you say it's a calling, that's where you your focus is going to be. It, it, the the win is going to be the byproduct, hopefully, of you instilling that discipline and all all of those different characteristics you want them to have. Uh, but, Talking about the family uh, side of things, Coach, I was wondering with your coaches and um, maybe even with your players' families, do you do anything to try to bring your coaches' families into what y'all do and to uh, maybe get their kids or their wives or uh, whoever, you know, people that they care about to get them involved in your program?
2: We do. We're very fortunate. You know, again, I go back to establishing that um, within your coaches. But, you know, the children of the coaches are welcome and encouraged to be here. You know, every you come to our practices, you're going to see coach is on the field. Now We want that. Now with that, our, that puts a little more pressure on our players because I tell them you, you need to be watching your mouth and what you do because there's a little eyes on you. Uh, but that's one thing. Uh, families are valued. And, and if if your son is playing a little league game, I don't expect you to to be here more than you need to be. You know, if you need to leave practice 10 minutes early, that's OK. It's encouraged. And we work around that. I'm, I'm going to leave early to, to be in my own children's things. So don't miss those times because you don't get them back. I've learned that the hard way. Made a lot of mistakes and, and um, have a lot of regrets. And so I tell my coaches, I'm, I don't, I'm not going to have any more regrets because of something that I determined or put on you. Um, and so, you know, working efficiently, um, they grade film on their own. As long as it's done before we meet on Sunday afternoon, you can stay here Friday night. Some guys do that. Some guys go home and grade it, you know, on Saturday, whatever you need to do. Just get your work done at home. Um, you know, it's tough to, to turn that film around and, and grade and then watch the opponents by Sunday. But uh, be, be smart with that. Uh, make each coach take a week off during the summer in addition to the dead weeks. Um, go somewhere with your family. Um have a wise, a lot of wise coaches on staff that hold me accountable too, because I'm I'm not the best at it, to be honest. And I, and I encourage them. I tell them you have the right to check me, Um, hold me accountable. One, one came in this morning and said, you need to be where your feet are. That was his message to me. And I I appreciated that because when we go home, we need to turn that cell phone off. We need to turn that huddle off and we need to be with our our wives and our kids. And that's not always easy uh, because we feel like, that extra minute would just make, make the difference in that game, you know.
0: It sounds like you really have a, a pretty tight staff and you've built that family culture with them. And uh, that makes me wonder, how do you find your assistant coaches? Are they a lot of guys that you've known throughout the years or is there something specifically you're looking for when you speak to an assistant? Yeah. Uh,
2: I want to hire good people first. Uh, that vi- to have, share the same values. Um, or are willing to be coachable and moldable you know if you if you come in and 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 you do most of the talking in the interview uh, and and don't listen some that's a red flag just being honest Uh, i want to know about your family i want to know about your priorities i want to know about um, your coaching style you know is it is it all about the wins or is it about developing young men and so uh, very selective it's hard to find you know the right people but i think you got to be patient and sometimes wait Um, but also know it, you know, being in the business for 20-something years, you, ha- you have an idea of some guys that, that may fit into that culture that may want to be a part of it. So, you know, you reach out when you have opportunity.
1: Now, you, um, you were an assistant at Burns there for one year. You're back now as the head coach. Um, what are the differences or similarities that you have to the way Coach Bentley did things then? Or are you just completely doing it your own way, or are you trying to pull some things that he did? Because, I mean, y'all were super successful, and he was super successful. Um, and maybe, hey, I'm at Burns now, so even though I've been a head coach for a long time, I am going to do this because Burns is a unique situation, or is it just I'm going to do my own thing the way I've always done it?
2: No, no, it, it, the situation was really good, so we've tried to bring some things back that he used, uh, uh, you know, some other schools around here have caught up. Burns was a trendsetter and was a, was light years ahead of some others, and, and then they've taken that and duplicated it and and caught up and, uh, and so we we've tried to kind of reinvent ourselves somewhat, but holding true to our traditions. And so uh, we do a lot of the same things, uh, but it, you know, you have to adapt as well. You know, my, my, I tell my coaches you can either adapt or become a dinosaur and uh, we don't want to be dinosaurs and so constantly evaluating um looking at what works best for our guys um, you know it's burns has changed since 2006 just like every other school our culture in general has changed and so we have to constantly seek ways to to relate to our young men um, to to promote the discipline and and belief system that we want instill in them and, and to help them to see the value in that uh, the, the youth program around here is still one of the best in the country We have about 300 guys playing football ages 6 to to 12. Um, Our middle schools are thriving and our C team is thriving. So the the future we feel like is bright. Uh, We just have to continue to to be proactive and intentional and, and not get complacent.
0: You also spent a year coaching in skeezy You spent a year uh, or a couple of years at, at Ben Lippin, which is a private school in South Carolina. And there's definitely I make fun of Joey sometimes, but there's I mean, there's just a difference between the public school teams, especially at the level like Burns and at a Skeezer school um, and just the athletes you have.
2: Yeah.
0: Was there a is there a big difference between your approach preparing in a season with? The type of players you would have at Ben Lippen, as opposed to Burns, is there uh, a difference in, in the preparation for that and trying to get those guys ready to play in a season, or is, do you just take the same approach you take at Burns uh, with those other guys who may not be as athletic? And uh, yeah,
2: I, I, I think you approach uh, young men all the same. I mean, boys are boys, man. They all you, you got to meet them where they're at first and foremost. Uh, evaluate uh, evaluation huge, no matter what level you're at. Um, and uh, you know there was some a lot more play in both ways, probably there. And so you know, the preparation and and as far as the conditioning was was crucial, but it's crucial here too. I mean, you're playing against great opposition every week. And so uh, you know there's some similarities, some differences. I think you approach them both the same though initially, and in, in laying down those foundations or core values. Uh, we've always had core values that we believed in and, and stressed and, and feel like if you don't have a strong foundation, you know, it doesn't matter about the talent. Uh, the, the five values that we put are love, believe, discipline, work, and, and uh, grit. And so those five are, are still, I think, valuable no matter where you're at.
1: Now, first, I first want to make sure that this is true. You start, I've heard this, you start lifting the day after the season's over? Well, uh, some days we give them two days off.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, we've got a big this year, fellas. We, we get to relax.
1: Bill Belichick, Nick Saban, stuff right there. Um, You're around, Coach. So what, what made you – I mean, did you always just do it that way? Just like – so you've just always done it that way.
2: That was that was what they did when I was here in 06. And okay. That was uh, – you know, and it's changed too now. Now you got the dead week in the first week of July now, uh, and we have the most in class. And so, it, you know, I need to clarify that. Mo- we're very blessed and we have them in class. So, I'm on, I see them every day, and and that's just kind of uh, what they've come used to. Uh, We'll go four days a week in the the cold months. We'll go Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and we do some team building on Wednesday. Uh, And then when it gets warm, we'll go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and go outside on Tuesday, Thursday. So, very thankful of the situation that we have, and we want, you know, we just want to utilize it. And that allows the guys to play multiple sports after school or work. Uh, but you know we, we feel like we're going to outwork everybody and control what we can control.
1: Right, it is different if you have them in the class too, that does make a difference. But uh, what's the atmosphere? Just curious, what's the atmosphere that day, let's say this past year after y'all you losing the playoffs? What, what's the weight room atmosphere like that day when they come in?
2: It's not the best. I mean, the, the worst day in football is taking up the equipment. and so you know you, you go you take up the equipment and then you're back at it. but you know it also helps heal. Getting back to, to just doing something, the hardest thing to do is just uh, to get started sometimes and just get, you know, I think emotionally it helps us, uh, getting back in action because, you know, it kind of flushes some of that that bad taste in your mouth out and, and you start looking ahead, uh, you know, and that's that's what we want to do. And so it's been good to us overall.
0: What are some things, Coach? How, how long have you been coaching?
2: My goodness, I think this is year 24.
0: Okay, 24. Yeah. looking back, what are some things that you did maybe let's say your first 10 years that you say, why in the world did I do that? That was so dumb. Or, you, you know, just things that you did maybe to make yourself feel better that didn't make a difference. What are some of those things for you that uh, that you're just thinking, I wish I wouldn't have done that?
2: Wow. If I go back to playing scout team quarterback, I was a uh, quarterback came down the line on an option, and uh, one of our players caught me between the legs with his hand and uh, was out Mm. My back for about thirty minutes. So I've learned. I still play scout team quarterback, but (laughs) a little more cautious. Uh, uh, Wow. I think. um, I think the just how you how you talk to players. uh, You know, I've always. I think my players always known I care about them. But twenty years ago, uh, the culture was such that you do it because coach said so. Now they need to know the why. And so taking the time to explain and constantly uh, paint a picture of this is why we do this. This is what it's going to do for you. Um, Those constant reminders and then bringing other people in too. And then, and also just taking more feedback from players. Um, You know, you can learn a lot when you ask and keep your mouth shut and listen. Uh, And so probably taking more feedback um, even from outside sources. Uh, You know, I've, befriended some people in the community that, you know, take a take a pulse of the community and take a pulse of what's going on. Those That's important. Uh, the place like Burns, that's real important. Uh, so just constantly taking that feedback and trying to evaluate and, and push the program forward, um, I think overall is probably the, is where I'd start. Gotcha.
1: Um, I've had a, a coach tell me one time, it was actually in an interview back when I was an assistant, say, um, you know, you can't act like you're the smartest person in the world. That's the biggest mistake you can make as a head coach really is what he was talking about. But if you act like you're the smartest person in the world, there's just so much more that you can get done. If you bring in every stakeholder and I mean, that stakeholder is like a buzzword in education or whatever everybody wants to use. But if you bring everybody in and that includes players, you'll sort of, it'll end up getting shaped in a way that it might not be exactly what you might've had in mind, but it'll be what's best for the situation. Um, and I think a lot of people, I mean, shoot me, it would definitely be included in this. You just have this vision of what you want and you don't, a lot of times it's so easy to block everybody else and just be on a one train um, or a one track thought instead of be bringing in everybody and trying to make it the best it can be for its own individual unique situation.
2: Right. I, I think there's a, you're, you're onto something. Um, I think it's important to have a focus uh, and know what you're trying to accomplish you know our, ours we sum it up in two words we're trace, we're chasing excellence uh, we're chasing greatness uh, is how we define it and so it always goes back to that and i think that's your filter Um uh, is, is this something that's, that's going to help us chase that greatness is this something these decisions that i'm making in the big scheme of things and then getting input from others but at the same time also understanding that you don't listen to, to all the noise out there either.
1: Yeah. Don't listen to everything. So <laughs> Lord, there's,
2: no. There's a, there's a lot of um, interest out there that are interested in themselves first. And you, and you have to use that filter and, you know, that discernment and that wisdom and then seek uh, multiple sources of wisdom. Um, and then to you know, look at what uh, they're saying and how, and, and how you can use that. But the biggest thing, too, is they'll provide insight into things you didn't know about with your own players. Sometimes you want to know about it, and sometimes you don't. But (laughs) insight's always good, one way or the other.
0: How do you get your players to give you insight to their point of view on things? Because I know for some people it might be like, shoot, I don't want to let my my players run the program. But I think there is – there's a humility in doing that. It does take some humility to ask your players, hey, what can we do better? Uh, do you just, just kind of try to find those uh, good leaders on your team that you know will give you good feedback?
2: Yeah, and when we come back in January, each position coach nominates one or two players to be on our, our leadership council. And we start meeting in January once a week with those guys. And those are the guys that we feel like we can trust – to uh, To take their input, but also to uh, spread the information and, and message that we want to put out there as well. And so, in those closed door meetings, they can bring it to me. Uh, I tell them, you can say anything to me as long as you do it in a respectful manner and do it the right way. Most of the time, that's behind closed doors. Out in public, you got to be you got to be careful. When team meetings, there's times where we will check somebody um, in a group setting, but I think you got to be careful about that. I don't think that should be the norm. I think I should be the exception to the rule because uh, you want your whole team to feel like they can trust you and, and, and that they're valued and that they have input. But, you know, the job of that leadership council is to take the pulse of the team and to survey the team and, and to bring issues to me, but also to try to squash some issues as well. The best leadership comes from internal. Um, and if you got your players leading, man, you, your your culture is going to benefit greatly, I believe.
0: Coach, I want to ask you this, and just wrapping it up. I'm, you've been coaching for a while. You've been a head coach now for um, a long time. What? Let me ask you. You don't have to say the greatest assistant coach you've had, but what qualities define the greatest assistant coach that you've had? What are the qualities that make a great assistant coach? Because I think everybody thinks about the next job instead of living. I've heard people say, "Be where your feet are," like you just said earlier, and. Be great at what you're doing right now. Dabo Sweeney says that. Like, how can I be the best assistant possible? And how can anybody listening to this be a great assistant?
2: Wow, that's a great question. I think, first and foremost, it starts with your attitude. You know, you hit you hit the nail on the head, Chad, with um, not not being a person that puts a persona out to you know everything. I think showing humility, uh, being loyal. If I can trust you, you um, to do what you're supposed to do on the field and off the field you know that those are the kind of people i'm gonna look to promote i love to promote from within i know what i'm getting i know what i've invested in you i know that you've heard the message and that the fact that you've been here a while says that you believe in what we're doing and you believe in how we're doing it because we work hard uh, and so you know you you hit the nail on the head to be where your feet are if you're always looking for a job and i hear rumors that you're out here uh, if you tell me up front that you're interested in this job, I'll do everything I can to help you. But if I find out on the back end that you're out there fishing and, and uh, providing information on us, then we got a problem. Uh, so loyalty is huge. Uh, you know, Looking for opportunities to serve. Um, looking for you know, not waiting to be told to do something, but taking initiative. Uh, those are the coaches that stand out to me. Uh, coaches that take the time to build relationships first. Man, if you don't have relations with your players today. Man, they don't value your title as coach. You, you better be able to relate to them. Um, and, you know, last but not least, you, you better be educating yourself. I don't think you can read. I don't think you can lead unless you're out reading and studying uh, your craft. You never stay the same, uh, whether it's other sharpening your skills with other coaches. I commend you guys for doing this podcast, man. Um, or whether it's going to coaching clinics, going to other schools. You know, we visit other high schools. We visit other colleges. Um, We're constantly studying. We go to coaches clinics. Um, Constantly asking other coaches that are doing it well. You know, find some guys that you want to emulate that do it well and and try to partner with them. And that was that was what uh, helped me as a young coach. You know, I was blessed with some good mentors and blessed to meet some guys and go network and. And they, they let me tag along and come and study, and uh, that made a huge difference.
0: Last question. Who's the most dominant high school football player you've ever seen? Could be somebody you coached or coached again. Most dominant player in right. high school that you've seen in your career because I know you've seen some really, really good guys out there. Yeah.
2: I have, to, I have to go old school on you, man. I have to go to Roscoe Crosby Union High School back in the, oh, yeah. in the late 90s, man. Roscoe could – we, we were doing bracket coverage with really good athletes on, on Roscoe, and he would catch a screen and, and make two people miss and outrun the rest of the team. Roscoe was special, he was just a dominant player back then.
0: He went to Clipson, didn't he? But he didn't end up. He went he to Clipson, but
2: he played baseball and football and kind of bounced back and had some injuries and stuff. And you never got to see the potential that, that guy had. He was phenomenal. Well,
1: they won a state championship his senior year, I think, beat Dylan when Dylan had Derrick Hamilton. They went head-to-head.
2: Two or, two or three
1: with
0: Roscoe, yeah. Was it his speed? Was he just – was he a blazer? Size,
2: speed, uh, I mean, hands, just could play anywhere, just a dude, just a dude. Yeah,
0: yeah. it's fun getting to see those guys. Sometimes in that yeah, situation – not fun you have to play them. They're on the other side of the field. Right? <laughs> hey, hey, were you were you getting yelled at to get the job done? You had two guys on them, two great players. Get it. What done, else you want me to
2: do? We, uh, they, they knew. I mean, the coach, just, you know, he just threw his hands up and like, "What, what else can we do?" That was our best on their best, and yeah, you know, that was, that was all we could do. He's just a dominant player, fun to watch.
0: Yeah, got to tip your cap to him in that situation. Yeah. I appreciate you coming on with us, Coach Shaw, and giving us some insight and in, in what you've learned over the years, and uh, we really appreciate it.
2: Hey, a lot of good coaches poured into me, man, and I'm. All, that's where I'm at today because of the shoulders of others that have helped me along the way. So I appreciate you guys and opportunity to be on here. Thank you so much,
0: Coach. All right, Chad, so I want to share something with the guys here and uh, all these coaches that Coach Shaw texted me after we did the podcast. Uh, he said he forgot a couple things. He said they were really important. He just wanted to make sure that we shared that with everybody. Um, he said one of the things that he did not include was that they have a family potluck where the wives organize that and they bring – Meals for the uh, coaches and their families to eat after the games. He said they have two to three coaches' family cookouts a year, so all the families get together about two or three times. And he also said, and I think this is really cool too uh, for you guys that are married. The coaches' wives have a few get-togethers on their own as well, uh, and I think that's really cool because coaches' wives they uh, in the season a lot of the I mean they spend a lot of time away. Uh, from their husbands. If you coach JV on Thursdays and then you coach varsity on Fridays and you're practicing late at night, there's a lot of nights where um, you're not going to be home uh, during season as a coach. And I really like that the wives get together to do that. So um, what do you think about those Chad? Do you think anything from that stood out to you from that list coach just sent us?
1: No. Yeah. I mean, you know, he talked about a lot, but it's just making sure that you have coaches, you know, a, a staff room that wants to coach and wants to stay involved and, Feel like to have ownership and all that stuff's important, but they also want to know that you as a head coach realize they also have a life. Um, and you know, the the work life balance is different from for everybody, and more certain people have more struggles with it, and some people it's easy to you know to shut down football and to get away and all that stuff. But really, regardless of where that balance is and where that line is for you, you know, for a guy that works for Reggie Shaw, he knows that you know, his life outside of that is important. Um, and he can go do the things that he needs to do outside of football to take care of his family Um, and that's really important for anybody because that makes the coaches want to perform better Um, and it just raises everybody's quality of life everybody's happier um, and it just helps your program um, all the way around so it's really important and the other thing too is just the fact that there's a reason Reggie Shaw is a head coach at Burns which is you know one of the very very top programs in South Carolina which is obviously a great football state and everything and Is because he's the kind of guy that gets done with a podcast interview and sends a text about oh i forgot these things that i love about um you know making my program feel like a family i mean that's not an accident he's the kind of person who would just he keeps thinking you know he's he's not he's always trying to think about ways that he can do things and he's you know a good enough person he wants to share those things and um help people out so um yeah i mean all that's that was evident in the interview but um you know he's a great guy and they've got a great program and there's a lot of stuff there that I feel like a lot of us coaches need to learn from. And he would probably say that he needs to learn from some of his own stuff as far as struggling with work-life balance and those kinds of things too. Um, yeah. you know, But it's important.
0: Everybody coached, almost everybody. Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the things I really liked is how he said that, you know, some of his coaches had fathers that were sick and I think had cancer during season last year. And he understands that's, no matter who you are, that's more important than football. Yeah, it ain't even close. If, if you don't think that's the case, then you need to re- reevaluate your priorities. Um, I think a lot of those guys end up having a ton of regret because at the end of the day, you can win a state championship, and that's awesome, but that state championship is not going to satisfy you um, completely. So um, I love that. But, Chad, I wanted to ask you a question, and this is going to get down to you as a head coach And I want to see if you are more afraid to look stupid or if you would rather win. Okay, so I was thinking about this riding down the road the other day. Let's say you had the number one punter in the nation that was a junior. And going into his senior year, you had a premonition. There was some way you knew every single punt that entire season his senior year, the number one punter in the country returning, every punt would be five yards. Would you go for it on every single fourth down that season? You cannot put your backup punter in. Would you go for it on every single fourth down, or would you punt it and just say, I thought the punter could punt?
1: So is this a – I've got to make this decision before the year starts. Yes. That, That I'm either going to punt every time, or I'm going to go for it on fourth down every time, but my punter sucks. But nobody knows he's up.
0: But they all think he's the best. Right.
1: Everybody thinks he's the best person ever. So I would literally have to say,
0: so and everybody did. would
1: think that because he would never punt, they wouldn't get to see that he's up. Right.
0: If you choose for him not to punt, everybody is like, why is he not punting? He's the number they one. Never
1: see, they never see that he's terrible.
0: Let's say that God told you, Chad, it will be five yards every time, and you know that. Do you go for it every fourth down, or do you put it every fourth down for five yards?
1: But also, you have to also assume as part of this thought exercise that everybody <laughs> continues to think that he's a good punter, even after they see it. for Because, like, in real life, after six games, then they'd be like, well, why is he still punting?"
0: Warm-ups, he's booming at 60. Right.
1: Um <laughs> You pretty much have to punt. Well, it depends. Are you if if, if I'm in me last year at Lamar is a first year out of program that like cares no, a ton.
0: Next year, going into next year, this is your oh, second going
1: year. into next year. No, I'm going for it on fourth down. You sure.
0: be brutally,
1: It doesn't me hate you. Yeah, but they would also hate me if we kept losing games because we were just giving the team the ball on the twenty, on fourth and one.
0: I respect that though. I respect you say that. But like,
1: no. no, this past year, I'd have absolutely punted it. Like my first year at a program, like, ab the heck no, I ain't doing that. Hey, everybody, y'all are seeing it just like I'm seeing it. It ain't on me.
0: Is there, I guess, and that, that question really stemmed from a bigger question is, are we as coaches more afraid of looking stupid than doing something that's actually effective? Like, are we afraid as coaches? Because I think the coaches that end up doing really cool stuff, are the coaches that don't really care what anybody thinks and then they just say I think this is going to work and I'm going to do it. Like I think more coaches are probably afraid of looking dumb than they are willing to say, "Hey, let's try this and see if it works."
1: Well, we've talked about this before. It's the granny shot in basketball. Yeah. You know, like Rick Barry proved and pretty much most anybody that struggles shooting free throws would definitely be able to be better if they used the Rick Barry underhand free throw shot but nobody's ever actually going to do it because even though it helped them because they're scared of looking stupid, even though Rick Barry did it and shot, you know, 92%, whatever, the highest free throw percentage in NBA history doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's proven that a couple of people who tried it here, there, Wilt Chamberlain, they got better shooting free throws, but they didn't want to look stupid. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think that there's, there's been plenty of decisions that I've made that is completely based on outside perception. Has 0% to do with, Helping us win or lose and has everything to do with, like, I don't want to get fired.
0: So, you knowingly will make a decision that is not (laughs) as good for you to win. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to. You have to. Because at the end of the day, you know, you can say, Well, I made the safe call.
1: Yeah, but you're going to, you've got to make, you've got to do whatever allows you to keep your job. To the point that you have enough job security, then you can do whatever you want to do. Bill Belichick, twenty years in, can do whatever he wants to do. Had he lost there for two more years and continued to act the way he was acting, he'd have got booted like he did in Cleveland, like anybody. Like if I win, you know, three state championships, well, now I'm set. Now I don't have to. I can make all the decisions based off of what I want to do. But you've got to establish basically complete job security before you can start doing that. Or I mean, well, I I mean anybody can do what they want to do. Me, I'm not going to risk getting fired, or not even getting fired, but I'm not going to risk taking heat for just because. Like, not until I have a whole
0: lot more job security. What does that feel like for you, taking heat? Like, how do you handle taking heat? As it, because you're a young guy. Like, people will say things like, "What's that young buck doing? He don't know what he's doing." Like, is that is that hard for you, seriously, or is it just like whatever?
1: No, I mean, there, it, when, before I became a head coach, I would see stuff or hear like stuff, people yelling at me and like in games that has zero effect on me, like absolutely zero. Like if anything, it almost, almost like, like it a little bit. Like I'll turn around and look at them and make sure they know that I hear what they're saying. Like I'll go like in our last playoff game that we lost, like I was getting ripped by this one section I was, like, sit, standing on the fence down, like, a little bit away from where the, where the ball was. And so I walked down there and stood right beside them so that if they were going to talk to me, they were going to have to talk to me. Like, you, we, you ain't just going to talk to me. You're just not going to talk to, you know, the back of somebody's head. Like, you talking to me. Um, yeah. So I kind of like that part. The stuff that, honestly, is weird that I do not say it hurts my feelings. That's weird.
0: Shut up. You can but have feelings hurt. Mr. It fin- doesn't
1: but that isn't the really the right way to describe it. Yeah. It's, I don't even, it not and Mad's not really the right way to describe it either. I'd say annoying probably is the right way to like the thing that annoys me more than anything is like seeing stuff on like, and I don't seek it out, but like something popping up on my Facebook feed about me or like a backhanded compliment. It's like, okay, like you're yelling at me in the heat of the moment. Like I get that. Like, on a random Tuesday afternoon, you're thinking about me and thinking about how I suck. Like, that's when it's just kind of like, and, and you're going to put that out there on Tuesday. Like, that's when it's kind of weird. That's like, like, that that's that's what gets to me.
0: It hurts. Come
1: on. I don't know Be if vulnerable. hurts the right word, really.
0: Be vulnerable.
1: It's, I mean, I really do think annoying is probably the best way to describe it. It's like, why do you have to do that? Would be like that's what I think when I see it. Is I don't sit there and think like, oh, I'm sad now. Like I'm sad because we lost. I'm not sad because people are mad about it. It's annoying. It's like I, it pop ups on my feed and why are you doing this on like, you don't have anything else better to do on a Tuesday afternoon than think about me and my job.
0: Don't you think that Jimbo Fisher thinks the same thing whenever you were saying that you hated him and he was? Yeah, going, that's
1: the thing. Does he? I don't know. Do they? They're
0: really tagger but I think they probably make so much money that they're like, eh. Like, how bad is it to be Willie Taggart right now? You just got balled out. How much did they pay him for him to live?
1: I bet it's just uh, – it's it's not as bad, but I bet it still gets to them. Yeah. Like, like nobody wants to be told they're bad at their job. And we're the only profession where that's allowed. Like, I don't get to walk into a doctor's office and follow a nurse around all day, like, right behind her and, like, yell at her because she didn't take the temperature fast enough. <laughs> Like we are, we work in the only profession, coaching in general, and all sports is like the only profession in the world where people just get to come watch you perform and then yell at you, even if you're doing it well. Like the I got yelled at more in our game. We my, the game that I got most yelled at and took the most heat for all season from the community and everything was the game we won forty eight to nothing and we're up forty to nothing at halftime. And, like, completely called the dogs out to only win for it and up. I took more heat for that game than any other game all year.
0: That's really weird.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's crazy.
0: And it's a good it's point. Crazy. Like, what would happen if you went up to the mailman and just started screaming how trashy he is and, like, going on Facebook telling everybody, my mailman sucks, he's the worst, we need to replace him right now. Yeah,
1: calling him out by name. Yeah, and I'm not married or have kids or anything, but, like – fans do these to the coaches whose, like, kids are, like, see these their five-year-old daughters are, are maybe not that young, but their eight-year-old daughters are seeing this and hearing this. And it's like, I mean, again, everything that happens within a game to me, that's fair game because I'm mad. Every, like, everything's heated. It's emotional. I love that we have fans that care and get emotional about us. Great. Yell at me on Friday night all you want. And, I mean, you can yell at me on social media. I'm not going to do anything. But that's when it's just kind of like, I mean, really? Do we have to do that? You know, but nothing else really.
0: You get that because when you're winning, it's like the closest thing to a modern-day gladiator. you got got 100,000 people screaming inside these college football stadiums, and when the winners win, they're the best people on earth. There's people that say Nick Saban needs to be fired right now. So there's idiots everywhere. But – Yeah, it's. I guess that just comes. It just comes with the territory of being a competitive dude that wants to be the man and uh, wants to win and do all that stuff. Like people love you, people hate you.
1: Yeah, I mean at the end of the day, I feel like I got the best job in the world. So, like, I don't have to teach past ten fifty five. So, like, I'm doing all right.
0: You haven't made that area.
1: Yeah, that's what I mean. I feel like I got it made. So. Everybody can yell at me on Tuesdays on social media all they want. Like, I truly feel like I haven't made I'm, I feel like I'm extremely lucky. So, whatever. I feel like a little bit of yelling at me comes with it. Like, something bad has to happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, it can't be all good.
0: Yeah. Well, guys, uh, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, just Stay up with us on Twitter, at The Coach's Drive. Um, check us out on Facebook, Coach's Drive Podcast. Just search that right there. Uh, we're gonna keep this thing rolling. We're gonna talk to a lot more coaches, and uh, we hope that you keep listening.
1: We'll start putting more of these out if Jonathan's wife lets him, you know, do something sometimes.
0: Or if Chad would actually take some time out of a schedule besides the one hour a day he says he's available, which is typically we'll about
1: Which is typically about when?
0: Super late. This is like the early Nine? Time.
1: Yeah, I can I can do nine. Why can't you do nine, buddy?
0: You about to be married here and Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Woo! All right, guys. Later.